listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers from faith leaders to academics to artists to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome to our show Kevin Bowen, Executive Director of the Human Rights Alliance. Kevin, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. It's wonderful having you here. So, so tell us about the Human Rights Alliance. What is it? Why does it exist? Uh, the Human Rights Alliance is actually celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. It was opened um, in Santa Fe in 1993 as um, uh, an advocacy organization for the LGBTQ plus community. And initially, we operated a suicide prevention hotline in Santa Fe. And we also worked closely with Equality New Mexico, which is uh, another not-for-profit that actually does lobbying um, work specifically for uh, adjustments, changes, or new bills to um, better support human rights and the LGBTQ community in New Mexico. And they are also celebrating their 30th year as an organization this year. And that's fascinating that it start. you said it started with a suicide prevention hotline. For yes. some for some people, this is the obvious question. For others, this might be surprising. Why did it need to start with a suicide prevention hotline, do you think? Um, I am not clear on those, that specifically. Um, from what I have gathered um, and seen during the time, my assumption may have been um, because one of the main things that uh, EQNM did and our organization advocated for was uh, health department and healthcare changes for HIV and AIDS treatments in New Mexico. And um, there must have been a need within the community, um, probably because of the very reasons Back in 1993, the cocktail of drugs did not exist to help people live longer lives. Um, I believe the only drug that was being used at that time was AZT, um, which was a really horrible drug and really did not work. Um, so my guess is it's a, it was a combination of things and... Um, they, they determined to set up a suicide prevention hotline was something that was needed in the community. Um, now, if you fast forward, we don't, of course, do that anymore, but right. the United States has set up the 988 number, which is really for mental health and suicide um, crisis. Instead of calling 911, right. you would dial 988. So, so you you started something in the in the Human Rights Alliance called the Queer Center. Can you tell us mm -hmm. what is the Queer Center? 
Well, um, it is a uh, place that does not have any brick and mortar right now, but um, we are on a mission to open up an actual tangible brick and mortar center here for Santa Fe for the queer community. And we've decided to name it the Queer Center, or we're calling it the QC. And and what does it what, what does it do? What what is it? What's the purpose? Well, certainly, right now, what we're doing is um, what we're calling community conversations, which is to engage um, the community in having talks, uh, especially in hopes of creating intergenerational conversation among. Um, the younger queer community and the older community. Um, so we're posing some topic discussions for these, and um, we have a mental health care professional that will be at these talks. And we're just opening up a conversation and especially a safe space um, for members of the community and perhaps those that love them or their parents um, to come and talk and have a conversation. So l- let me ask, <clears throat> excuse me, when we, when we were talking in our community about queer studies, we had a fascinating conversation between um, two individuals, one of whom said, please don't use that word. That word is derogatory for me and was used quite specifically um, as a derogatory term at me. And another person turned around and said, this is very much my identity, and this is part of who I am. I am a queer person. Um, mm-hmm. What You're using it, obviously, in the positive sense. Can you share mm-hmm. a little about this journey from, um, from the word queer being a derogatory term to being something that is assumed or used as a term of identity? What, what's happening there? And I, I ask that particularly for people who are trying to be allies or hoping to be allies and trying to to mm-hmm. use the right language um but can you share a little about about the word queer itself um i i wish i had some more specific information but i'll tell you what i do know um as things changed within the lgbtq plus community um we started utilizing pronouns to identify ourselves, um, whether we identified as a cis male being um, a male and being gay or lesbian or gay or bisexual, transgender. And somehow along the way between using he, him, his, she, her, hers, they, them, theirs for people who consider themselves to be non-binary, um, there was, a, I'm going to say it's a morphing occurred that um, in order to kind of catch everyone without perhaps uh, using all of, you know, each letter, LGBTQIA, 2S, you know, gender expansive, which is GE, and Pansexual, I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, I like to think that we um, took a derogatory term that was leveled at many of us because I'm someone who's a little bit older than the average uh, younger queer person. And we kind of made it our own and put it back out there and said, now we're going to call ourselves queer. So now that's where we are. 
So it's used actually, Rabbi, quite often now, instead of using all of the letters to say the queer community. Um, even um, John Blair, our city manager for Santa Fe, uses that term um, to describe the entire community. So uh, it is interesting. I do deal with people who are in my age group and older who really have a hard time referring to people as being queer because, yes, it was a derogatory term. Um, and the older members of the community, um, they're head-scratching, you know. They're right. not quite sure <laughs> what the heck are these guys and gals and these other people doing. Um but it's it's really, I think, in my opinion here, it's kind of addressing the morphing of society to a certain extent. Um, younger um, kids these days, those in school and, and even as early as middle school and uh, then into high school, are much more fluid with their understanding mm. and their acceptance of sexuality. Mm. Um and, you know, they don't give a, I won't say the other word, but they, won't, they don't give a poo-poo, whether right. you like guys or you like girls or you like both guys and girls. Um, and it's allowed um, some of us who are older, for example, to be able to address some things. And, and people in my age group, for example, um, they're, they're kind of digging it, some of them, because... There, you know, we didn't have that right. when, you know, I came out. Um, we had, of course, ways that we talked to one another. Um, you know, either gay men talking to other gay men or gay men and women where you would um, use uh, other pronouns to be silly and address folks. Um, you know, right. like always calling guys will always call each other girl. What are you doing? Right. 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 Um, of course, this was much more private in my day because you didn't necessarily talk like that in public, especially if you didn't know who was listening, because you also could become a target for, um, you know, anything from being beat up right. to ostracized or whatever. Right. Uh, so it, it's... Um, I don't know. I, I find it now exciting. It took me a little while when I first became involved with the Human Rights Alliance and decided to become a, um, a human rights activist at uh, a much later point in my life after other people had gone before and done a lot of work. Um, but uh, it, 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 it it's a point of conversation which allows people to think. And I think the problem is uh, for people who are, you know, more established and older, they just don't get it. But no one's ever sat down to talk with them about I it. I think it's fascinating, <clears throat> excuse me, especially because the Human Rights Alliance has, has been here for 30 years. I think it's fascinating thinking about how how just basic conversations about gender and sexuality, about and as well as nomenclature, has changed so much in 30 years how in, oh, yeah. in how there's so much more openness and 
I guess, tolerance for an acceptance and celebration, particularly. And that reminds me of the pride, you know, on the plaza, um, this celebration right. of identity and um, which, yes, 30 years ago was was so profoundly different. Um, I just think it's it, mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate you sharing that that journey of that term because um, because I think it shows the importance of your work and uh, the importance of the work of holding celebrating and 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 discussing as well so we need to take a break Uh, when when we come back when we come back let's let's talk about some of the community conversations that you've had so you're listening you're listening to soul searching on ksfr with rabbi neil amswich from temple Beshalom in santa fe and my guest uh, this evening kevin bowen executive director of the human rights alliance here in santa fe and we'll be back after this break You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Our guest this evening, Kevin Bowen, Executive Director of the Human Rights Alliance. Um, and before the break, we were talking about the Human Rights Alliance and the Queer Center and, um, and, and the journey of the word queer and the journey of society over the last 30 years. But you'd mentioned some of these community conversations, and and in February you had, yeah. you had this community conversation with the QC. You, you, the first one was about pronouns, wasn't it? About um, about the yeah. use of pronouns. So let me ask you: Why do so many people say that it's important that everyone clarify their pronouns? Uh, that has become because of the more again i'll go back to saying the morphing the changing of society um there are a number of people these days that don't you know they don't they recognize let's put it that way the male and the female and in them and they identify uh by seeing both aspects of that and they they kind of come into the term of being non-binary um they are much more fluid. Um, sometimes people refer to themselves as gender expansive. Um, and that means that, you know, they may decide that they want to act like a woman or act like a female. Uh, and then other times they feel more masculine. Um, it, it's important because it's a, it's a level of respect that uh, the queer community feels is necessary. Um, and it's really very simple. Uh, and, and, and the problem is sometimes some people get very offended if you mispronoun them or misgender them. Right. Um, and there is some level of understanding that those folks need to have as well because not everyone gets it. Right. Um, and and within the structure of you know even for example collecting uh, health data in the state of New Mexico, 
the governor put forth an executive order last year to collect health data, not to single out the queer community, but because we have an issue with healthcare being delivered appropriately to the queer community because they're afraid sometimes to go in, especially if they're transgender. Right. And um, or they're feeling that, you know, they they are transgender. So to have that level of respect is just simple. It's simple, polite policy to make it easier. A lot of us put our pronouns on our signatures in the email. Yep. And when, when we're at events, we introduce ourselves. Hi, my name is Kevin Bowen. My pronouns are he and his so that people um you know, get an idea of um, who who is in front of them. Um, there are a plenty of non-binary people that work in a number of the organizations around the state, and they refer to themselves as they, them, theirs. Yep. And that's where it's confusing when it comes to the English language, right. because it's only one person. But if you think of it, oh. you know, you can say something like, well, Kevin's on his way. They'll be here shortly or sure. something like that. Right. I mean, that's been in the English language for hundreds of years. Um, yes. What do they think of that? Meaning that one person. I think for me, it's been a, an interesting journey for me because I was introduced to the idea of introducing pronouns or mentioning pronouns. And I thought for myself, it's obvious what my pronouns are. And then I was in a meeting with a, a large group of people and um, we were mm -hmm. sharing pronouns. And then there was a person who shared pronouns, which surprised me. Um, and I had assumed, and that's a really important part of this, I had assumed their gender based on a, a physical stereotype. Um, and mm -hmm. for me, it was a really interesting moment of... Um, of, of moving away from assumptions. Um, and I actually mm -hmm. think for me now sharing pronouns becomes a really inclusive thing of, I want to see you in your full humanity as opposed to assume who you are. Um, you know, in some sense, the, the issue, uh, the assumptions that are made um, as, as one person uh, delicately put it, the assumptions that we make about people uh, often tend to be the assumptions of what's in their pants and and that shouldn't right. that shouldn't be what we're seeing as a as an yeah. individual. So so I really for me it's been a fascinating journey to to realize what the underlying assumptions are and why why it's so important to clarify pronouns as well as for those who think it's obvious for those who for example are transgender maybe saying but I don't want to be the only one who shares my pronouns because then I'm singled out immediately. Um, and and so it seems like there's a, a flattening of inclusivity if we all share our pronouns. Would, would that be a fair way to represent it? Um, Co correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. Tell me. Yeah, I think it, it's in a group of people. Um, if there is a transgender person or someone who's non-binary and someone such as yourself. Uh, shares their pronouns, it immediately lets them know that you're cool with everything. Okay. And um, and in those cases, especially um, among uh, in, when we work in groups, you know, we have a, a New Mexico roundtable, which is um, all LGBTQ plus related not-for-profits that support the community in one way or another. Um, it, it really sets up everyone to understand um, 
you know, who you're dealing with to a certain extent. Many people who are transgender use um, the pronouns of the gender they have transitioned into. Yes. So um, that that part of it is very interesting. And then, you know, just to throw this in there, you've got two spirits. And in some cases, depending on the tribes, little that I know of all of this, there are three, four, or five spirits. Right. It's a recognition among the natives, among the different um, aspects of our um, our soul and our personality to a certain extent. Right. Um, so I, I um, you know, a number of my um, cisgendered straight friends who are now becoming allies all put on their email signatures now their pronouns right. because they're trying to be respectful. And I really appreciate, yeah, yeah. I really appreciate you sharing the the um, the expansive nature of this. When I, I my rabbinic thesis was on transgender practicalities within the Jewish community, and in some of my research, finding that there are some communities around the world where people have an inner gender and an outer gender, for example, and that for mm-hmm. me was just so fascinating to reconstruct the concept of personhood and and why we focus on gender, I guess. And I really appreciate you saying it, it shows that you're cool with it because that comes back to the safe space idea that you were, you were referring to before, which I think is, is so crucial. We, we've got about, we, we've got about five or six minutes left. I wanted to ask you about in March, you had this community conversation about supporting each other in community. And I think that's really important. Yes. Can, what can you share? What does supporting each other in community mean to you? Well, this is a, a first step to an, another community conversation we're going to do um, in conjunction with the Mountain Center. But uh, it's learning about if you see someone appears to be in crisis, how do you recognize that? Um, how do you um, approach them and speak to them? How do you support one another um, and not you know, not not support one another. The, the issue is, Rabbi, is that we have so much mental health issues, not right. only within our community, but across the country. Right. Um, they're reeling their heads everywhere. That's another reason why we've started the QC is because there truly isn't a safe space in Santa Fe. I mean, there are many places that are very accepting of everyone, but but the mental health crisis is an issue. And if we can start to educate people of, you know, maybe warning signs, what to look for, how to support one another in community, how to, excuse me, you know, get off your um, social media platforms and right. your phones and actually be present. Um, you know, there has been a number of suicides in the last year here in town by members of, within our community. Um, and we're concerned about that because uh, in some cases suicide is being bantered about as like a, an art project. Huh. Um, and, and I'm just paraphrasing here and people are talking about, well, if someone does this, what are we going to do? What type of party or, uh, you know, uh, thing will we have afterwards? You know, like you, you sit shiver, I'm assuming. Yeah. Right. The Jews do. Right. You know, but like, what are they going to do afterwards? And, um, you know, this is a permanent 
solution to something that may only be temporary suicide. And if we can just start to educate and inform the community just little by little, like, you know, like support one another, um, recognize what bullying and social media bullying especially does, um, learn how to be present. That's, that's the first step. And then the next step is we'll probably do another, we're going to do another um, community conversation that's actually uh, helpful with, you know, preventing suicide and really recognizing signs Mm. in the community. Um, I mean, and this is really, honestly, this is where this whole thing started is that seeing the trauma that's happening and not being able to um, address it and support it. Um, we have to, and you know, the pandemic only make things worse right, for right. kids. So I, I really appreciate that work. Um, uh, you know, this, ad- this addressing of the mental health is so essential. We've got three. We've got three minutes left. Let me ask you: for those who are listening, who aren't members of the queer community, but who want to learn how to be allies, or who want to be better allies, how how can people best be allies with with the queer community? What kind of things can you share for them in in, in three minutes? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just oh, as a taster, a taste as a, a start. Uh, I'm going to compare it a little bit to doing anti-racism work and, um, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. A lot of it really has to do again, going back to just listening and being present, um, trying to understand someone else's point of view and perhaps where they are, um, with their life and how they, you know, how they deal with things. Um, and the first step I always talk to people about, especially my white colleagues, when it comes to anti-racism work, it's listen, right. let it percolate. Don't compare anything that you're doing in your life, especially, if, for example, if you're a white person or a straight person to a queer person or a black person or a brown person or a person of color, because we do not, you do not know what that's like, but if you listen and, um, you know, I think what really starts to come about is the deeper understanding and an an understanding too of the commonalities that we all share that, um, that are really, really important. Um, you know, we we're going through a whole process now with the city of Santa Fe with the chart process and what to do with the, you know, the obelisk downtown. And it is so contentious. Right. Um, And it's, it's the same thing that happens within, you know, the queer community, just trying to uh, allies to understand things. And what does it really mean to be an ally, not only to our black and brown and people of color friends, but also, you know, indigenous and the queer community. It just means being present with them um, and you. supporting them and understanding them. Thank you. I, I think that's such an important message to share. Um, I really appreciate you and the work that you're doing. I, I really am thankful for you to for coming on this show and and starting this conversation and um, hope that um, many people who are listening are able to to support you in in your work. Um, particularly just starting by listening. So so thank you for, for being on our show You're this welcome. evening. Thank you. I appreciate it.
So thank you to Kevin Bowen, Executive Director of the Human Rights Alliance. Thank you for coming on to our show. You've been listening, you've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.